So how are we doing, fellas? Good. I just turned out a whole lot of content. Feel pretty good about it. So I'm good. Not bad. Yeah, I even went meme today and made one. You made a meme today? I did. Ooh. I don't know if you guys will recognize the scene, but have you ever seen the movie Madagascar? Yeah. Yeah, I love the movie Madagascar. It's a classic. Yeah, it's the second one where the fucking little dude Mort is getting attacked by the shark. Okay. And it's how every lifter reacts to one bad session. That's I'm excited to see it. That's accurate. It's end yes. of the world behavior with one bad session. Yes. End of the world behavior. What's up, guys? Welcome to the Rebuild Stronger podcast, where we talk about all things powerlifting, strength, sport, business, and life. Hope you enjoy. What's the topic of discussion today, Wyatt? You went and you talked to or went to a Josh Bryant seminar. Yeah. And got loads of knowledge to download. I didn't. I didn't did my best to write it. It was uh it was pretty cool. It was open format, total QA the whole morning. I think we went from like uh 9 a.m. to noon, just straight QA. I probably supplied almost a third of the questions. Uh and then afternoon was just like all lifting we went just through some basic sbd stuff josh made me lift conventional because he thinks i have the lever leverages to be a better conventional puller which i hate uh but i ended up pulling a beltless pr but yeah we're gonna kind of talk about that whole session and everything so first and foremost are you surprised that you were the person supplying 30 percent of the questions no not too much i was hoping a few more people would uh but no, my buddy Xander, who he's the one who put it on and got Josh to go out there. Uh, he put out a thing like two days before. He's like, hey, make sure y'all are like read some articles on Josh's website so you can get some like ideas for some questions. I'm pretty sure I was the only one that did that. I but mean, that wasn't surprising. Where you and I first met, you literally it was you and Cody uh, that asked all the questions in Irvine when we yep. first met. <laughs> And you were still a student at the time. Like you were in a room full of strength coaches and physical therapists. And like that hand just kept coming up. And yeah, pretty I, was, much I think I was the youngest was, by three years. Yeah. And we all knew you as the little foot guy, little feet guy. <laughs> Do you want to explain yourself for that one really quick before everybody's like, does he just have small feet? Wait, what did I say? What? The icebreaker was favorite song to lift to. Oh, Wait, little feet. I said uh, little the chain feet? from Fleet Fleetwood Mac. No, the Fleetwood chain. Mac. Sorry, yes. that's a terrible. Wow, that's a terrible mishap. I apologize. Wow. I was like what? There. And I apologize to you, Wyatt. That's a, that's a bad miss. Hey, I, I mean, was that was a, almost five, four and a half years ago. Well, you said a little feet. I expected a Land Before Time reference, but no, that's we're talking Fleetwood Mac. I mean, that's I, a great I, pull. Yeah, it's a great pull. I forgot all about Land Before Time. Land Before Time is a classic. Oh, it hits yeah. hard though. It it's there's unresolved emotional trauma from many of us in our childhood in that <laughs> first movie. Bro, that and Fievel. Uh oh, American five, Tale. American Tale. Both my little girls freak out in the very beginning of, of American Tale. When he falls into the water, just absolute disaster. Like, oh my gosh. 
the whole movie's gonna end. Why is this only a three minute long movie? Like that's or that's uh, Brave Little Toaster. That those movies are dark. Brave Little Toaster. What is that? I remember I that. that. Okay, Jared, you know that was yeah. that was dark. They're very dark movies. It's just all inanimate objects that have come to life, and I can't even remember the premise of the story. But there's like they're trying to avoid dying and like getting thrown in a dump and whatnot. It's dark. Ooh, it's a children's it's a microcosm movie. for life. Well, I mean, to get us back on track, one of the things that you wanted to really bring up here is bands. Bands and chains and accommodating resistance. Inanimate objects to bring me to life. Uh, I'll tell you that right now. It's it's something I really enjoy. Um, I, thank you for the applause, Jared. I appreciate that. That was a nice probably, segue. Well done. Yeah, it probably deserves a golf clap at most. But on like in regards to that topic Wyatt, like what was your big takeaways when it came to accommodating resistance and uh, arguably one of the greatest strength coaches in the world at this point uh what was josh's take and, and like what what did you take away from that yeah so kind of one of his takes cause I, I straight up just asked like you know what do you think because we were talking compensatory acceleration training um and so i kind of brought up the subject like hey it seems really popular right now especially with like some of the research the data-driven strength guys are doing to do all this compensatory acceleration strength or compensatory yeah cat training i'll just call it that because it's easier to say uh at you know like probably 60 to 80 percent for you know singles doubles triples like doing these like 10 by threes and just moving as fast as possible with lightweight and conceptually to me i always kind of interpret that well like pretty similar to you know doing 50 percent plus 25 percent band or chain um obviously there's differences in the speed and whatnot but both those kind of operate on the same thing so i went ahead and straight up just asked him like hey what do you think about you know doing those two different protocols and so his kind of take on it was if you're gonna do more of the band stuff he didn't like some of the ways that maybe were encouraged by some conjugate coaches where you have that overspeed eccentric because if you're using a band rather than a chain, that band's pulling you down faster than gravity wants to accelerate you. And if you let it, it can speed up your eccentric. Um, and so in some aspects that might be useful. Um, but from his perspective, he felt that it wasn't more so because it changed the timing of the lift. Um, Cause most people, if they're doing some sort of banded speed work, they're doing it with, semi-close variations of some sort of mailman it might be a box squat it might be an ssb but it's a end of the day it's a barbell squat um and so his kind of argument was that if we're speeding up that eccentric we're changing both the stretch reflex that's occurring and just the timing and so then when we get back to those heavier straight weights it's going to feel significantly different um now of course i've heard narratives that you do want that overspeed eccentric because you want to go you want to go as fast as possible on the eccentric uh, while under control. And so that, that was kind of his initial take on the bands. And I, I kind of like sat and thought on a little bit, and of course I like communicate to you guys. Um, but yeah, so that, that was the initial take. Like if you're going to do banded work to still try to keep a similar or same eccentric speed and timing, especially when it's like doing it with main lifts or just more specific lifts. So for the listeners really quick, can you define compensatory acceleration training just yes. so they have like a basic framework compared to like the overspeed eccentrics and like yeah. what, what it is we're looking at here? Yeah. So compensatory acceleration training is basically just doing the concentric portion of the lift 
as fast as possible, no matter the weight on the bar. Um, so, you know, in, in warmups and lightweights, you might generally just move a little slower because you don't need to move faster at top speed. It's well submaximal. Compensatory acceleration training claims that if we're moving as fast as possible with our submaximal weights, again, whether it's, you know, bands and chains, whatnot, or just straight weight, that that's going to have more carryover and utility for strength and power-based activities on the upper end, because even though the weight might not be the same, you're still trying to produce as much force as possible. And then the overspeed eccentric is just the bands are speeding up how fast you go down with the barbell. So essentially one is concentric, one is eccentric and trying to delineate like which one is more effective to create maximal strength gain. Yeah. Cause I think, I think some people are of the camp of you want to have the biggest bounce out of the bottom, which, you know, is a little bit hard to do with a pause bench, but you want to have as much explosion out of the bottom as possible uh, to essentially create momentum to carry you for your stick through your sticking point. I think the compensatory acceleration training is kind of like, you know, it's, it's not disregarding, but it's just, Hey, it's focused on when you do the concentric it's max speed. Um, and so you're trying to move as fast as possible while maintaining control. If you're moving so fast that your hips just shoot up and you good morning a squat. I'm not calling that compensatory acceleration training. I'm calling that a good morning squat. Jared, a lot of this really sounds similar to like motor unit recruitment. When we start talking about like, especially explosive fibers and those type two fibers where we have to have the neural drive to create the contraction of those big boys. You know what I mean? Like you can't just sit around and do sets of 20 or 30 slowly and get to these big motor units that are going to move big weights. Cause like your big motor units are attached to your largest muscle fibers that create the most power. Like, is that jiving with you too? Like you pick up the same thing I am here. hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, going back to the exercise physiology courses in school and then also continued research. Yeah. If you're trying to recruit more of, say your type two muscle fibers and the subdivisions there, you're going to need higher uh, loads for one. You're going to need to be trying to move explosively versus your type one fibers, which are going to be more just typically slow twitch. Um, they're going to be recruited more preferentially with those lower intensities, maybe higher rep sets more into that muscular endurance uh, sort of stimulus. So this all comes back down to, you know, what are we trying to train for? Uh, how are we trying to improve performance and in what context do we ultimately need this to show up in? Because we're talking about powerlifting and we're trying to lift maximal weights as heavy and as fast as we can makes sense then to try to bias our training or use tools to recruit those type two motor units or type two muscle fibers uh, and build those up just so we've got more, more gas in the tank for the specific context. So, Another thing, and I don't want to create a dichotomy here, Wyatt. So I don't think this is necessarily positioned as a like one or the other. Like it's compensatory acceleration where you're focusing on like the fastest concentric as possible versus like accommodating resistance where like you're you're focusing on the overspeed eccentrics. I think at least from what our conversations have been and what I've understood from Josh is that like in this particular instance, compensatory acceleration training moving as fast as humanly possible from like from the beginning of the concentric is still like the main focus. It's just a slightly different look at the importance of something like a band 
and its utility with like an overspeedy centric versus like a controlled. And I hesitate to say tempo because I think people like then they they force themselves to account or they force themselves to a particular speed as opposed to like maintaining your typical cadence in a squat on the way down. Is that what you kind of picked up? Yeah, because like, you know, doing banded speed work, that is still compensatory acceleration training because you're trying to do the concentric portion as fast as possible. I think there are just different opinions about the utility of, well, do I want to go down at the same speed as I would, you know, my max effort squat? Um, or do I want to, you know, try and go faster? Um, and I've gone back and forth too, because I, I do think, you know, the one we, I think we have one research paper so far that measures uh, how useful eccentric velocity is in improving one RM. And I think uh, it showed consistent improvements for squat and bench at like 80 and 90%, or it might've been just 80%. And then like 90 plus percent to hundred percent, it was kind of more mixed results, whether it led to an improved one RM or not, or an improved like total speed, or I forget exactly what they measured. Um, but so it's kind of that debate there. It's to me, it's all right. Should this person try to speed up their eccentric over time? Cause I do think, you know, whatever speed you're doing the first time you start powerlifting, probably not the same speed you're going to do. Um, long-term there's going to be, multiple factors that go into it from stance width to bar positioning to just changes or injuries or whatnot. Um, so it's kind of, I think a conversation to have with the athlete, but also just knowledge on the coaches and is, does this person need to move faster? If maybe we do want to improve the eccentric speed, I might actually be in favor of doing that, uh, that overspeed eccentric just to get them some feeling of what it's like to move faster. But if it's someone who it's like, nah, they're pretty set in their ways, then maybe even if we do still do, you know, banded training or some sort of accommodating resistance or whatever, we kind of just shoot for keeping roughly that same uh, timing. And again, I don't like the word tempo because people think counting, but that same eccentric bar speed so that it's consistent with what they are already good at and used to. Well, I'm going to I'm going to go through two scenarios here. Right. First, first and foremost is strictly anecdotal. Uh, and you know, we're, we talked about the bench press quite a bit and I know Jared's experienced this as a coach and athlete, uh, why you have, so, you know, your, your, your thoughts on this, uh, of course, or, or something I want to dig into, but like, I can tell you right now on a bench press, if you're above 90% and you slow down and you're eccentric, you're fucked. Like if you're slower, especially once you become like an advanced intermediate advanced lifter, it takes so much energy to slow. And, and if I see it, I immediately think you're not confident in the weight. And I can understand the utility of like an overspeedy centric, but in in reality, like it's a confidence thing there that is, is pretty impactful. I mean, I've seen people smash 85%, smash 80%, like do AMRAPs to that stuff and just pump out reps. And then you get them above 90 and all of a sudden it's like somebody dropped the speed to 50%. Uh, on the way to their chest and there there's a lack of control there's a lack of speed there's a lack of you know a lot of the things that we're looking for so i'm with you i, I think it just takes more energy if you slow it down above those those weight thresholds what's your guys experience been with that i mean yeah, yeah i definitely agree um especially now getting into shirted benching uh, I think that emphasize like you if you do a slow eccentric in a shirt because I got a multiply shirt, it feels like my head's gonna pop off. Like 
you kind of have normal. to have a sense of it does want to it, it does yeah. want to pop your head off and if it doesn't want to do that it wants to sever your head yeah. it's one of two things it's trying to kill you the entire time that's exactly. the best part about equip lifting yeah but yeah i think the equip side of it and now i'm getting into wraps too it's kind of taught me to like almost have a sense of urgency and to not be hesitant on my eccentric like kind of like you said go into it with some confidence and just be like no i'm pulling the bar to my chest i'm pulling myself into the hole and i'm just doing my normal thing because when i do do it slow you know and i have an extra three seconds with you know that pressure it can screw up that concentric real real easy um so yeah i am a fan of like to some degree you want to have a fast enough eccentric that you're not taxing yourself on the way down yeah and i've got sort of two personal frames of reference one is pre-hospital and one is post-hospital. So pre-hospital, same thing, you know, that you've mentioned, John, where getting above 90%, 90% to 95%, uh, just feeling that amount of weight, relatively speaking, in my hands, it definitely was a confidence thing that would often limit me and make me descend slower, which would then take up energy, maybe increase the likelihood that I get out of the groove and then trying to salvage that off the chest is good luck. And then post-hospital last year, uh, because I had lost so much muscle mass and I was so like objectively weak to the point where my phone was heavy at a certain point to hold up in front of my face without dropping, uh, getting back under the barbell, learning how to bench again, same thing. The threshold for me was a lot lower. Objectively, the weight was, or in terms of absolute weight, it was lower too. But the threshold where it started to feel like, oh shit, this is heavy, was also lower. and Part of that was like true physiological challenges needed to overcome. But in bringing my attention to that and practicing bringing the bar down to my chest at about the same speed, regardless of what the weight was on the barbell, helped a lot. Uh, it raised that threshold and it continues to rise. And I also think when it comes to, we've probably all seen these you know, different lifters who can just eat up bench reps or whatever rep, whatever movement we're talking about up to a certain point, 90-ish percent. And then above that, just a little bit, an extra five pounds, maybe 10, all of a sudden it's just this big drop off or it's just, it's too heavy. Whereas prior to that, they were just, they were cranking out reps and it was fine. I think as far as accuracy of prediction of where that top end strength is, uh, whether it's in training or on the, the platform, I just think that accuracy increases uh, the better we become in bench here, at least in uh, bringing that bar down at the same speed because it's probably less of a big drop-off. I mean, I know for me, like the speed and the descent on the squat allows me to know where I am in space too. Like if I slow it down, the likelihood that I squat high is, and everybody's like, oh, you squat high anyway. Um Look at look at my open power lifting. We're okay, guys. Um, we're good. We're okay. Look at all the, look at all the red lights for depth. It's not a whole lot. So when we we look at that timing, especially as you continue to get reps in, matters a ton. Um, so bench press is one thing, obviously, to get it to the chest and get it paused as fast as humanly possible, but also to consistently hit depth. And I think that's kind of my next piece, right? Because if you look at any any coaches within conjugate systems uh, or, or looking at, you know, Josh or any of these people, one of the big things that's fundamental 
and a really common thing heard is like, look, your dynamic efforts cannot look like shit. Like if you want to, if you're going to move fast, you better be tech, technically sound and it has to be locked in. I am a position first kind of guy. And that, you know, everybody looked at the old Stan efforting videos and it's like, man, the dude takes 20 seconds to get to the bottom of the squat. But why? Because his liftoff point out of the hole was the same every single time. And it took him that length of time to make sure he stayed in position. So for me, like, I don't care how fast or slow it is. I want it consistent and I want it to be to the same positions because the positions are going to matter more. Then we can hem and haul over like, is it, you know, is the overload eccentrics or the, the, that speedy centric really going to benefit this particular lifter or not? And that, that's when it starts to, to become a, a bigger thing. Same thing with like box squats. Box squats create impact, just like a ground reaction force. Like that's, that's great. Is it going to be beneficial for this lifter? But what are you guys' thoughts on like really being positioned first? I think just as because I've always been the more technical lifter. Um, so that's always kind of been my realm, especially pulling sumo and stuff. Like I think I, I think like not to be like conventional position now. police or anything, uh, but just to me in my mind, great position, great technique should allow you to lift the most weight. Like I'm not talking go and squat you back to the empty bar, perfect position. I'm talking being in a good position should allow you to reduce the most force into the barbell and move the most weight that's why my best squat when i did 512 it's genuinely one of my prettiest looking squats it's it looks good and it was like that and, and i've seen the same thing do with the lifters like when they hold good position their ability to grind gets better in my opinion yeah i mean i think about i th i break it down into a couple of different buckets um and from whenever I'm looking at training, I, I want to prioritize performance. Uh, we can bring in the clinic or the, um, you know, sort of the rehabby side of things, especially as clinicians. And there's a lot of still like fear around or fear mongering around, hey, you, you shouldn't load up a, a movement pattern until it looks right or until you've got the technique down because you're going to hurt yourself. And that gets dubious if we get into the research. But um, I like to think about how do we set up a lifter for success? How do we get the most performance now and continue to build on that performance down the road? And if we can nail positioning down, whether we're talking about, you know, even in the presence of pain or injury, still preserving as much of that, um, that position, the technique as we can in that circumstance, uh, for one, it probably allows us then to adjust other variables even better. We're talking about range of motion or tempo or whatever to try to keep that pain or injury at, at bay. But then once we get over that injury, then we're in a really good position to keep building either back to where we were or hopefully even beyond. We talked about confidence. The more confident that a lifter is in their positions, they just know what has to happen. The easier it is to replicate under any circumstance, whether we're talking about a fast flight at a meet, whether we're talking about a heavy day at the gym, whatever the case. And then it also makes it easier to push through these plateaus because you have to think about it less. You just know what you got to do and you can get there and you know you're going to get there. So it just allows you to put more of your mental resources into attacking the weight, which is necessary to hit those higher end performances. 
Now, last piece for me, because people call powerlifting slow. I do think at every point in time, especially if you're working a main lift, squat, bench, deadlift, even if it's close variation, your ass should be on the gas as soon as it's time to go concentric. As soon as it's time to move that barbell, you got to go. And it might be, you know, a slow-looking rep. It might be a slow-looking velocity, but you have, you have to drive with 100%. And I, I do believe, especially when it comes to, like, my use and my experience with bands and chains, like, there's nothing that builds more confidence than having something on the back on your back that makes you go, oh, shit, and then actually being able to blast it out of the bottom. Like that, that feels really good. So that piece of it, we can talk about physiology, but the the psychology of attack mode in your compensatory acceleration training is really fucking important. Like that, that goes a really long way. And I mean, for myself, just to speak for myself here, that's what took me from, you know, a, a long time hanging out between 622 and 644, literally for like two years. To getting into the sevens, now getting into the eights, now getting into stupid shit in single ply, but it all be it's all because I have absolute confidence that as soon as I start to go, I'm going, I'm going. The crazy part is if you and and Wyatt, I think you actually mentioned this before while you and I were talking. I, in reality, I missed my squat at Freaks on the way down. Not on the way up. I missed it on the way down because the bar was moving so much and I lost position at the bottom and lost brace at the bottom that I wasn't able to step on the gas. So what do you guys take on that? Yeah, I mean, I'm just going to agree again. Like good position should allow you to lift the most weight, produce the most force, do the most into the bar. Um and so, yeah, like having that, that same eccentric every time is hugely important, uh, in my opinion, just because it's consistent, like it, it's a rhythm. And just like you said, John, like, yeah, it is absolute s- slow speeds, but no one's trying to move, or at least you shouldn't be trying to move slow on the concentric unless you have deliberate, deliberate concentric tensho- tempo, which you guys know I love my 303 sumos for position work. But again, I, that's where I think a lot of people who like, get upset about concentric tempos i think they are missing kind of missing the point like i'm not doing a concentric tempo for max force production that's not the goal i'm doing it so the person can feel out where they need to be and then as they get more comfortable with that because anytime we learn something new the thing we kind of do is slow it down when they get better at that they go faster they go faster they produce more force um but yeah i mean for the most part you should be stepping on the gas on most every rep i think unless you're doing like some sort of deliberate concentric tempo or concentric pause or something like that to hit different positions at different speeds yeah and you know stepping on the gas and really going has been more of a focus for me because of you john over the last little bit even in the context of coming back from the hospital um and that's made a big difference, right? It's being able to unrack a squat, feel more weight on my back. We're not talking about all-time PR numbers, but you know, it's a fair bit of weight, especially given where I started last year. And then to have that confidence because of all of the cumulative reps across all of the squatting that I've done, 
just knowing what position I need to be in, knowing that when I get here and it's time to go, I go on the gas and I can make it happen. Makes it so that I'm a lot more confident on that on rack uh, and I'm able to execute and not have to think about three, four, five different things, but rather just commit to the lift and see it through. And that's paid off dividends. Same for bench, same for deadlifts. Uh, I've seen that in in practice as well for other other clients. Um, and being able to use different variables, variations to start to build A, the confidence, B, the positions, and C, that acceleration. Um, and it's different combinations work really well for different people, you know, depending on the circumstances. But bringing those elements together, that's where the secret sauce is. And that's where people start getting into uncharted territory. And I can think of a few people off the top of my head who relatively recently have gotten there. Well, the other thing with just a small piece of nuance when it comes to this is like a lot of what we're talking about is with completely healthy lifters or at least lifters that like have the ability to train in these ways without pain or discomfort. Like why you mentioned tempo, man, if you've got like knee tendinopathy, you got something going on in your hip, you've got, man, I love tempo through the entire process to make sure we're loading tissues adequately, making sure we're loading those things adequately, and also give you the space and time to feel out how your body is feeling. But man, if we're if we don't have any need to put brakes on, like let's let's go. Let's do it. Or in the context you're talking about, Wyatt, motor learning takes a little bit of time. It takes a little bit of time. Sometimes we need to just spend time in certain positions. But if my goal in a training session or with movement selection, and this is really important, if my goal with that movement selection or exercise is to produce maximal force, we're going to go with maximal speed. Yeah, I mean, totally agree. And circling a little bit back to like, you know, you kind of mentioned your squat plateau. And I know you put briefs on to start getting some exposures to heavier weight. Like jo I asked Josh about that too. And he's like, yeah, he's done loose suits. He's done wraps. He will use bands. He will use chains. He's done reverse bands. Like he, he likes that approach to like, Hey, this is going to allow you to make, sometimes it might be hit more than your max, or it might be like, Hey, this is going to allow you to hit 90% way more often or way more within one session. Uh, and just feel that way more often. Because I, I don't think like, you know, if you're a 500 squat, I don't need to think you need to feel a 600 squat on your back necessarily. But if it's like, oh, I got, you know, a bunch of reps feeling 475, like way more than just the normal single at eight I do. That's huge. I I even remember one protocol. Um, this was, I think, right before my 617 deadlift. Yeah. Um, I was doing sets of six with, I think, 495 and around 70 band tension. I was doing a four by six. I was getting 24 reps hitting about 575 and it wasn't overly fatiguing. That was the other great part is I got to feel those weights. I got to move with max force and a little bit more speed than maybe a normal five, five, seven, five, but I could also recover from it, which was huge. Shout out to Mike Hedleski, hamburger trained on Instagram, who prior to Kevin coaching me was having me do 20 by twos to a box with elite FTS grays and blues. It was like 50% bar weight and 50% band tension 
And man, I, first off, I was moving so fast off that box. I was absolutely smashing weight, but it was fun. Like it was, it was an absolute blast. Um, and I, I've seen it. I, I've seen it in dozens of lifters at this point where we use some sort of uh, piece of equipment, whether it's briefs, whether it's a loose bench shirt, whether it's a slingshot. I prefer a bench shirt in a lot of cases, honestly. Um, and we just bust through plateaus, like absolutely crush plateaus. Um, it's a it's a f- incredible tool that it can be utilized as long as it's under the right circumstances. And if the athlete is like super excited about it, that's a big piece for me right now. If they go, Oh yeah, something new for training. Let's do it. Increase excitement, increase that buy-in next thing you know, they're smashing weights again. It's great. Yeah. That that excitement makes a lot of sense because if it went the other way, they were really not excited. They really didn't want to do it. That just sounds like a bunch of headaches for, everybody and probably not uh, nearly as productive training as anyone would hope. Exactly. Of course we did start the whole thing off with like, don't throw a fit if you have a shitty day, but like, you know, (laughs) you gotta have fun with it. Why anything else before we wrap this up, man? Um, I mean, on this subject, wasn't too much i mean he went over like some specific exercises he really likes for it like uh he talked about bench the most because i mean for those that don't know josh bryant uh broke the record for youngest bench pressure at 21 and then he coached the guy who broke it yeah he's, uh, he's a big bench presser guy yeah it's also if you haven't if you've seen him now you know what he looks like but go look up some of his videos from like 2000 2005 he was a big boy he really was doing big box jumps too yep <laughs> Um, but no, he talked about like, you know, for especially explosion off the chest, uh, with some of this compensatory acceleration training it was like dead bench, uh, doing some sort of bow bar bench. I, I've been a big fan of that bottom half or halting reps or hitting the bottom and then locking out the last one, uh, and huge dumbbell bench fan too, which I have like, I used to hate dumbbell bench for years, mostly cause I sucked at it. But now I'm like, you know, if you have a strong dumbbell bench, you don't have a weak barbell bench. <laughs> so, uh, I see Anderson squats too, or like, you know, some deficit deadlifts, something like that, just to really get that speed and power off the beginning. Because again, if you do get that, it carries some momentum through those sticking points. And it's a little easier. Big fan of dead bench, by the way, big Ooh. fan of dead bench, huge fan. Oh, I'll add one more thing. Uh, so I asked him a little bit about uh, PAP training. For those who don't know, that is, uh, oh shoot. What the heck is the first word? Post. Oh yeah, post activation potentiation. Uh essentially, you know, Josh is pretty famous for doing like jumps and stuff before his squat. You know, do three 36 inch box jumps, wait three minutes, and then go do a heavy squat. And the whole concept was that it was it allows you to do more. So I was doing that last night. Uh for my pause squats, I was doing that on my warm-ups. And then before my max effort pause squat, which ended up being a 30-pound PR that felt easier than the PR two weeks ago. Uh, I just did a max isometric on the leg extension for five seconds, waited five minutes, went and squatted, and it felt damn good. Yep. So, But the whole thing with that, and he made sure to tell this because I was unaware of this part, is it is fatiguing, and you should not be doing those every session if you're going to do those overcoming isometrics. You got Those got to be more sparingly, and he talked about even using them at competition, how they had some dude 
load up the bench and just push into it. And they were all sitting on the actual plates and bar to hold it down. So that it was like 800 pounds that he couldn't lift, but it was an interesting concept. And I liked it. I think those are two, two topics we can definitely dig into and do in like another episode. Cause they're a whole nother thing, especially with isometrics that they are so fatigued and people yes. think they do the same thing you did, man. And they're like, Oh yeah, this, this felt great. I'm going to do it every single session. And the next thing you know, they're wrecked in two weeks. Well, like, the other thing they do so too is tired. they do that isometric and they'll do it for instead of five seconds, they'll do like 15 and then they go straight to their barbell lift. And it's like, no, you got it at least three minutes. Uh, he said like three to five. Usually. I mean, technically, it takes glycogen a good five to six minutes to fully replenish. Yeah. And that is a very depleting exercise. So I would still keep it to the five to six minutes for all you crossfit powerlifters out there that don't know how to sit the fuck down while you train that's me telling you to sit down and actually take the whole five minutes okay there's okay. a little mark ripto there sorry i'm just saying i it's it that it that part is the truth just chill sit chill in out. the corner and think of what, what, what about what you've done yeah turn on evanescence give a good cry you know clench your fists in anger and then then wait for a little bit See, the clench, the fish, and the anger, you know why I like the chain? Because in Guardians of the Galaxy 2, that's exactly what freaking what's – oh, Chris something. Chris Pratt. His Chris character. Pratt. Like, Star-Lord. Like, he goes on, and you see him just, like, clench his fist. That's and I was right. like, that's a good third deadlift song. It's great. It is. All right, guys. So if anybody's out there listening to this and they want to be tortured by us by tempo sumo deadlifts, <laughs> SSB front squats – or uh, what did our team actually vote their favorite exercise? Bulgarian split squats, which I think is just madness. Yeah. Uh, hit us up and give us on Instagram. Wyatt, where can they find you? Uh, I am wolf underscore uh, underscore pack underscore strength. And yeah, that's it. That's my only contact. <laughs> that's a lot of underscores. And then you can find Jared and I right in the description because <laughs> we do the description thing now. We make life easy for you. We make You're life welcome. really easy for you. That's right. So until next time, Wyatt, say goodbye. Bye, everybody. Jared, say goodbye in Canadian. Bye, eh? There it is. <laughs> and I'll see you fuckers later. <laughs> What's up, Rebuilders? Thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to the channel. Also, leave a rating that helps people like you find the show and reach more people. Appreciate you. See you at the next one.